I'm excited today to bring a message to you um, as we're continuing in this series we started last week called God and Culture. And uh, if you weren't with us last week, um, we, we were talking about a couple of questions. How do we live for Christ in a culture that is very anti-Christ, right? How do, you, how do we live as ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven in a culture that's very worldly? And it's hard to, to live this thing out. And, and we can know the truth, but knowing the truth does not necessarily mean um, that we're going to live it out the right way, right? And knowing the truth is the, the first part, but how we live out that truth, how we interact with people in this world who maybe have never heard the truth, who don't know what we know, who don't know Jesus, it really matters. And so if we're going to be ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven in a culture that's very worldly, as we talked about last week, um, first of all, we need a greater vision of who God is. And we looked at Isaiah chapter 6 where uh, this was a pastor. In our day and age, a pastor, a preacher, a prophet, a man of God. He knew God. He had been ministering the word of God. And yet in chapter 6, he has this greater vision of who God is. He, he gets a vision of the culture of heaven, the holiness of God. And it absolutely ruins him. And he realizes God is taking him to a higher level. And the higher you go with God, the more that you have to let go of the things of the world, right? If you're going to stay and operate on that level. And that's the journey our church is on. God is taking us deeper with him. He's taking us higher with him. And to continue on that journey, we're going to have to continue to let go of the things of the world, right? We're called to be in this world, but not of the world, right? We're called to... Be a friend of sinners, but not a friend of the world. And so how do you live that out? That can get really, really, really tricky. Um, For example, let me give you a few real-life examples where the rubber meets the road, right? Because when we're in this place, this is the place where we talk about the Word of God and what the Word of God says. And it's really easy for everyone to be on the same page and to agree, well, man, I take that back. (laughs) Experience teaches me it's not easy for everyone to agree and be on the same page. But it's easier in this room than it is out there, right? It's easy to read the word of God and go, I believe that. I agree with it. It's, it's easier to do that in this place than it is to go out there and interact with people who have no concept what it, what it even says in the word of God or who Jesus is. And so, for example... A month or so ago, I sat with a family. They said, our, our 20-something-year-old son just let us know that he's gay and he's dating someone. And we raised him in church and we taught him the ways of Jesus. And now we're facing this situation, right? You can, you can have your ideologies. You can, you can believe what the Word says. You can post whatever you want on Facebook. But it gets real when you encounter that situation, right? How about... My daughter just graduated from college, which we were excited about. She moved out of her dorm, but then promptly moved in with her boyfriend. It's like, ah, this is, you know, glad you're on your own now, but this is not God's best for you, right? How do you live that out? 
How do, what, what happens in that relationship? Do you say something? Do you not say something? You want to say something, but you don't want to be mean about right? You Have you guys wrestled with this the, the way that I've wrestled with this? When you encounter friends, family, coworkers who maybe don't believe what you believe. How about this? My sister just found out she's pregnant by her boyfriend, but she's telling me it's okay because she's just going to get an abortion. It's no big deal. I mean, what do you do with that situation? When you know what the word of God says, how do you interact with people, not just faceless, nameless people talking about ideas, but real people? How about this one? I've had many people in our church in the last year or two run into this one. My company is pressuring me to celebrate Pride Month and promote it and like go along with it and join in the festivities. And as a Christian person, you're just sitting there going, ah, like I love these people, but I can't celebrate their strongholds, right? And what do you do with that tension? How do you live this out? And that's really what I want to talk about today. So last week we talked about we need a greater vision of who God is. We need to know what God's word says so we know what the culture of heaven is like. The culture of heaven that we are trying to bring to earth. And as we talked about, we are ambassadors as if God were making his appeal through us because he is making his, his appeal through us. And so we need to know who God is. We need to know what he's like. We need to know what his word says. But then how do we live this out? Well, I've got really good news for you today. Um, the word of God not only tells us how to live, but it tells us how to live it out. It tells us how to be ambassadors. And there's many examples that I could give. We could talk about the the early church who lived in a culture that was as immoral as, or you could argue even worse than, even more immoral than the culture we live in today. Just to give you a little taste, um, the emperor Nero, who was the emperor who uh, most historians believe executed the apostle Paul, so first century emperor, um, while he was in office, as we would say in our day, while he was the emperor, he, he killed his own wife for no good reason, and then he married a man, legally married a man. Pederasty uh, was common in Roman culture, which was basically legalized pedophilia, right, where an older man would take on a young boy to train him up as a soldier, but there would be an intimate relationship, so to say, I'm trying to use earmuffs for the young, young children in the room. But that's what we would call pedophilia in our day. And that was common. It was Heterosexual men who would have wives would join in this practice. Temple prostitution, which is occult worship uh, with, with sexual intercourse. You know, um, This was the culture of the early church. And so no wonder we find passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul writes, as I read last week, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with other men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He's writing to a Corinthian. He's not writing to the the Jewish church. The Jewish church, the the guys in Jerusalem, they they would have never, the Israelites would never have joined in with that type of lifestyle. They thought the Romans were so immoral and such terrible people. He's writing to a Corinthian church that lived in that culture, and he's saying, listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, yes, there's grace, but don't be deceived. You've got to leave that lifestyle behind. 
And that's why he's clarifying and writing this down. That first word sexually immoral is the word uh, catamite there, which is the receiving partner in that pederasty relationship. And then he uses another word, which just means homosexual. And he put the two homo and sexual together to say, and just general homosexuality. And so he's, he's like saying, this is illegal <laughs> in the kingdom of God. This does not represent the nature of Jesus, the holiness of God. And so God's calling you out of it. But then listen to what he says. I love verse 11. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He's saying some of you used to live that way. I don't, I don't know if there's a more encouraging verse for the culture that we live in today. Where there's a lot of people, uh, you know, 20% of the millennial, or the, yeah, generate the generation below the millennials, the youngest generation, 20% are, are saying they're identifying as uh, homosexual or, or transgender, right? And I find it profoundly encouraging that the early church was in that culture. And they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people in their LGBT community were getting saved. And Paul's saying, that's what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified by Jesus, right? They came out of those lifestyles. And so, you know, especially for some of the the older folks in the room, if maybe you grew up in conservative church culture, conservative American culture, and you're, you're looking at what's going on in the world, and you're really freaking out. And I just want to say to you, don't, don't freak out. Jesus is still on the throne. No matter who's the president of the United States, there's, there's a God in heaven who has not surrendered his authority. And he's not freaking out by, by what freaks us out. Right? And his church that started in that first surgery, they operated in a culture that I, I think was probably more immoral. Greater person, Christians were murdered and killed. And so we need to take, take a chill pill uh, before we start freaking out about American culture. And we need to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts as we think about how to live this out. But I really want to focus us in on uh, the story of Daniel today. Because if there's anyone that can teach us how to be an ambassador of heaven in a culture that is extremely worldly. It is Daniel and his three friends. Um, If you're unfamiliar with the story of Daniel, basically uh, the nation of Israel became so corrupt that God allowed them to be conquered. And this is a huge part of the Old Testament story. So God creates the nation. They exist for several hundred years, but they drift from God. They become so immoral. He, He warns them for several hundred years. He sends prophets to warn them, but they just keep getting worse and worse. So if he goes, fine, I'm going to allow a nation to come in and conquer you because you're my ambassadors, but you're not representing me. And you be, you've become as immoral or even worse than the, the worldly culture around you. And so he allows the Assyrians to come first in the 700s BC. And then he allows Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to come and kind of finish the job in uh, the, the late 
or early five, 580s uh, B.C., right? And so Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian army come down to Judah, to Jerusalem, siege the city, eventually destroy it completely, level Solomon's temple that David and Solomon built for the Lord, and take them captive to Babylon for 70 years. Now, Daniel and his three friends were most likely uh, mid-teenagers when this happened, and they were taken captive by uh, the king of Babylon. And I, I want to look at this story because they were trained in, the scriptures say, the language and literature of the Babylonians. Now, when you study what the language and literature of the Babylonians was, the Babylonians, some of the false gods I talked about last week, they worshipped those. That was a part of their government culture, right? These, these were not... Um, like our cultures today was like separation of church and state. It's like, no, 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 no. These were extremely um, spiritual cultures. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a whole court of wise men, quote unquote, wise men, um, enchanters, astrologers. Uh, this is what we would call today devil worshipers. These were occult magicians is what these were. And they would worship these false gods, Baal and Ashtoreth and Molech and all these different ones. Um, And Daniel and his friends were forced to study witchcraft. By the second chapter of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And to give you some insight into what type of leader he was, like we hear about leaders in our day like Hitler or Saddam Hussein. And, you know, there's a bad comment. Oh, those were evil guys or, you know, or so we think, right? And Nebuchadnezzar, second chapter of Daniel, has a dream, and it's very disturbing to him. And he tells his whole, his whole cabinet, right, of wise men and astrologers and astronomers and all this stuff. He says, if, if you can't tell me the dream and interpret it, I'm killing all of you. And nobody could stop him because he had absolute uh, power, absolute authority, right? So... Again, some of you, you were in some of the situations that I mentioned earlier, like, how do I live this out? Hey, has your boss ever made you study witchcraft as part of your job and then threatened to kill you if you can't interpret one of his dreams and he doesn't tell you what the dream is? Okay, so can we agree Daniel had it worse than you? (laughs) Daniel had it worse than anybody in this room, right? As far as interacting with culture. Here's why Daniel and his three friends are such a powerful example to look at By the end of that second chapter, the king that threatened to kill him, who named Daniel and his friends after all the false gods of Babylon, it says he bows down and lays prostrate in front of Daniel and confesses to Daniel that Daniel's God is the God of gods and Lord of kings. Somehow Daniel was such a good ambassador of the kingdom of heaven that the the president of their country, who was about to kill him, completely changes his mind and says, your God is the God of gods, king of kings, Lord of lords, president of presidents. By the third chapter, Daniel's friends are put in a similar situation. But again, they are such good ambassadors. And, and it's, it's clear and plain to see that Daniel was the leader of this, this, these four guys. So they're following his example. But by the end of chapter 3, he issues same king. He's going to kill him because he, he makes a gold statue of himself, right? And says, everybody has to worship it. When they play the worship music, bow down and worship that image of me, right? 
and people want to complain about Joe Biden or, or President Trump, right? Can we all agree they had it worse than we do? Okay. Did, did any of our presidents ever make a gold statue and is like, if you don't bow down to me, I'm killing you? And he could. And yet, by the end of that story, by the end of that chapter, he makes a royal decree that no one can say anything bad about their God because, and I quote chapter 3, verse 29, no other God can save in this way. Wow. Some pretty good ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. A few chapters later, there's a new king and there's a severe persecution. You remember the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And when he gets out of that lion's, again, the king's going to kill him because he prayed. Can we all agree they had it worse than we do, right? And yet by the end of that story, chapter 6, verse 26, the new king who was going to kill him for his faith, instead issues a new law, this is what we would call an executive order, and sends a letter to everyone in the nation that the entire nation must worship the God of Daniel. You want to talk about an incredible ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. And so that makes me beg the question, what did Daniel do? How did he live out his faith in such a, a worldly culture, in a culture that was, that was most likely way more sexually immoral than our culture, in a culture that was into demon worship publicly, everyone was engaged in it, occult witchcraft on a level we, we can't really fathom in modern day America. What did they do? Well, I want to read Daniel, and I just want to read chapter one, and I want to pull out a few things that I think are really going to help us. And I'm going to show you that in the New Testament, how Jesus calls us to live, it's the same situation. And this is, really, this is really the one phrase that I want to leave you with today. We need to live with respectful boldness. So look at your neighbor and tell him, be bold, but be respectful. Be respectful, but be bold. So what's that look like? How's this look? Daniel chapter 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure of the house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Again, this included occult witchcraft and demon worship. Verse 5, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. And by the way, their new names, their, their Hebrew names were meant things like God is good, God is faithful, things like that. Their new names meant they, they were associated with these demon gods. It would literally be like giving you a new name that means Satan is awesome. So again, 
Can we agree that they had it worse than we do as far as government and culture goes, right? Okay. And so it says, the new names were given to them, Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Verse 8, this is a key verse. This is the main verse we're going to zone in on today. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission to not defile himself in this way. Now we're going to unpack that here in a few minutes, but we're going to read the rest of this. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of the Lord my king who has assigned you your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? Listen to what he says. The king would have my head because of you. Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding and all, of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Not what this sermon's about, but I think there's a connection here. When you honor God, he honors you. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found no one equal to Dan- Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters, than all the occult witchcraft guys in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And so the the scriptures go on and you can read about all the different stories where the government, the kings are coming after Daniel and his friends in this morally corrupt culture. They stand firm. they, They operate in different ways. They represent heaven and they accomplish great things. They even, like I said, by chapter six, the whole nation is ordered to worship God. So what did they do? I want to zone you in on verse eight today and pull some stuff out of this. It says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Number one, the church in America needs to get its resolve back. We need to stop trying to reach the culture by compromising with the culture. We need to stop trying to reach the culture by becoming like the culture. God's word is clear about right and wrong. And we can't preach the grace of Jesus, but not preach the judgment of God. And scripture is very clear about that. We need to get our resolve back. Listen, if you are not resolved to not defile yourself, how can you expect to help set other people free? You're sitting in free people church free people free people free people it's who we are it's what we do 
Now, as I mentioned, the, the, the day we launched that new name this past summer, that's a big name to live up to. So how can we help free people from their strongholds if we're patting them on the bottom and saying, no, that stronghold's just fine. That demonic ideology can stay in your life and you can just live in sin. Just believe in Jesus. He'll forgive you and you'll get to go to heaven. That is not the gospel. Jesus preached, repent and believe. Turn from your sin. Turn from your selfishness. Turn from your ways, your thoughts. Turn to God. Repent. There's no salvation without repentance. We have to resolve not to defile ourselves. I find it really fascinating that Daniel did not set out as a minister to go, I'm going to change this nation. I'm going to save Babylon. I'm going to save America. His goal was, I'm just going to try to stay pure myself. And I think it's interesting that God goes, I can use that. He wasn't even trying to change the king's mind. He wasn't trying to change the government. He's like, I'm just trying to stay pure myself. He resolved not to defile himself. Leo Tolstoy once famously wrote, everybody thinks of changing the world, but nobody thinks of changing themselves. Mark Batterson writes about, uh, in his book, uh, Circle Maker, about a missionary, real famous missionary from the, from, from Europe that uh, reached millions of people and they, the bunch of these people were asking him like how do, you, how do we become like you and reach so many people and, and, and see revival like you have everywhere you go Reva. and you know what he said he said you know go home go into your bedroom shut the door get a piece of chalk draw a circle and kneel down and start praying and then don't get out of that circle until revival comes in that circle Church, far be it from us to lob bombs on Facebook and social media about how bad the world is when in the privacy of our own homes we're engaging in some of the same types of immorality as what we're complaining about. But we want to vote and we want the right president and we want the government to change and yet we're engaging in pornography in the privacy of our own homes. If we want to see revival in the culture, we need to see revival in us. Because the world needs to see a difference. How can we shine the light if we're agreeing with the darkness? How can we be salt? Which which changes the flavor of the culture and even preserves it if we lose our saltiness. And so we've got to resolve not to defile ourselves. Resolve is, it means an intentional decision. To draw some boundaries. To say, I will not engage in certain activities. I will not support certain activities that our world supports. I'm just not going to do it. You don't have to be a jerk about it. And we'll get to that in a minute. Because that's important. But first and foremost, it's about you drawing boundaries for yourself, for your family. Church, we need to get our resolve back. So he resolves not to devile himself. And then notice what he does next. Um, He goes on strike and he gets a sign. And he stands outside King Nebuchadnezzar's gate. And he protests with this sign that says, Nebuchadnezzar's a dork. I'm not eating pork. (laughs) Come on, guys. Come on. Shadrach, Meshach, Rakshak, and Benny. Come on. Get your signs. We're going to go protest. We're striking. We're not serving under this. And don't forget to post on social. Make sure you get some good pictures of me with the sign. 
with an angry look on my face and I'll throw it on social later. We'll start a movement. It's going to go viral. Is that what they did? Nope. Oh, that's right. I skipped that verse. He, he got his gun and he's like, come on, we're starting a revolution. Let's throw the tea in the, in the, in the harbor. Woo! Stick it to the man. They want this gun. They can pry it from my cold, dead fingers. <sighs> With the empty shells laying around me that I fired off as they were coming to get it. I've seen some Christian people share memes like that right there. You want this gun? You can pry it from my cold dead fingers. Because that's what Jesus would do. He would hold on to that Second Amendment right so much that he would kill, shoot, murder the person coming, the government coming, trying to take his gun or his sword, so to speak. Hmm. So if we're Christian people caring more about our governmental rights than we do about the kingdom of heaven coming on earth, loving our enemies, praying for those who persecute us, and living in such a way that they come to know Christ. Jesus said, if you have an extra cloak, give it up. He said, if they ask you to go one mile, go two. If they ask for your shirt, give them your cloak as well. So where are we getting this pry the gun from my cold dead fingers? I don't know about this church. You're in Brown County, Ohio, boy. This is a red county. You know where you're at, boy. God and country. I'm not coming back to this church. If that's your mindset, there's the door. You can leave now. And listen, I'm a red-blooded American. Our blood is actually blue until it's oxygenated. But anyways, that's a whole other thing. I'm a red-blooded American. I think the Second Amendment is a good rule for a government of people who've been oppressed. Yeah, I think that's a good rule. But we appeal to a higher authority. And so we shouldn't be promoting ideologies that go against ideologies of Jesus. And you can vote, I think, voting values, voting Bible, voting to keep your Second Amendment, keep your gun so you can hunt and do all the things. That's great. Do it. But you have to realize social media is a public platform. And so anything you throw out there, you're representing Jesus. And then it gets shared, and maybe it goes viral in your little circle. Guess what? There's dozens and dozens and dozens of non-saved people who see those posts. Is that a good representation of Jesus? And so, no, Daniel doesn't protest. He doesn't start a riot. He doesn't lob bombs on social media. He doesn't complain. Isn't that amazing? They resolve not to defile themselves. But he asks, it says he asks permission. He asks permission not to defile himself from a secular, demonic, devil-worshipping boss. He asked him permission to not join in worshipping the devil. Ask permission. Now, he's so resolved that it, if his boss says no, he's got a plan. 
He's like, I'm not just going to give in. If he says no, I'm going to suggest we'll just try it for 10 days and see what happens. And guess what? His boss does say no. Because his boss could get killed for even going along with this. Now think about how small this matter is. It's about food. He doesn't even ask permission to not join in the occult worship. Because <laughs> he's probably thinking, I can study it, but I just won't join in. I won't participate, right? Maybe I'll study the strategies of the enemy so I know how to combat them. That's fine. But if you ask me to eat this food, guess what? Some of that food, most scholars agree that there was probably pork and other prohibited things in the Old Testament law. And so he goes, my God says I can't eat that. And because I'm all about honoring him over honoring my boss and honoring my government, it's a small matter, but I'm not eating that food. And they can kill me over a small matter, but I'm not going to defile myself. You want to talk about resolve? He asked permission. His boss said no. He said, I've got a plan. Just try this. And he finally goes along with it, and it works, and he gets permission. And God honors him for his boldness. My next two points. So point number one, resolve. We've got to get our resolve back. Got to get our resolve back. Next two points, last two things we're going to talk about. Say something. He said something, right? But listen, how you say it is everything. He asks permission. Now, you can be nice and ask, even knowing if they say no or if they don't agree, you've got a plan because you're not backing down. Respectful boldness. So let's talk about point number two. Say something. Jesus. I could go an hour on this, guys. We have reached the point in American culture where it's time to say something. So, if your job starts pressuring you to join in the celebration of Pride Month, it's time to say something. How you say it's everything. Ask permission. Respectful boldness. But it's time to say something. If your children go to a public school, and that public school is starting to introduce ideologies to train elementary age children about sexuality, and they want to throw in gay and transgender, well, maybe, you know, you, I know you might be a biological girl, but question everything about your identity because you might feel like this and some people do and that's okay and it's planting those seeds in children and no wonder 20% of the youngest generation think they might be gay or transgender geez I wonder why it's the culture they're growing up in they're being indoctrinated and I have a lot of compassion for the people doing it because they don't realize what they're doing but there i know for a fact there are demonic entities that are using those people in america public schools are supposed to be like the government by the people for the people you vote on your school board and so guys it's it's here This isn't a sermon 20 years ago, like, let's speak up, because if we don't, it's going to be here. It is here. It's time to say something. 
most people think the place to say it is on Facebook. And I'm just going to tell you, if you want to start fights and comment wars, if that's your goal, then say it on Facebook. Throw out lob bombs. If you want to be an ambassador of heaven, then when your child is confronted with something, go to the school board meeting, meet with their teacher one-on-one, and be respectful and say, hey, listen, um, we need to talk because my child's not going to go along with this and I'm not going to go along with this. Be respectful, but be bold. Now, which is easier, to lob stuff on Facebook or to go have a sit-down one-on-one with someone? Oh, I'll tell you which is easier. Which is easier, for me to stand up here and preach about sexual morality or to have a one-on-one with someone struggling with it? It's much easier to get up here and say things from a stage. Change happens in small places with small conversations for the most part. Most cultural revolutions start with a small group of people who influence people who can make a difference. And so we need, listen, it's time to say something. We've passed the point where it's time to say something. And parents, you want to know why we're, we're in the situation we're in in America, why we've reached this place? This is how bad it is in our culture that we don't want to, we're so worried about offending people. We're worried about offending our own children. And the American church is full of parents who are afraid to say something to their own children. You need to be starting, well, I'll talk to you maybe when they're 12, 14, hitting puberty and those issues. Too late. Too late. They're already, if they're in, especially in their public school and, and kids who don't know better, listen, I got, I got indoctrinated in first grade on the school bus. My kids are like, we don't, we don't, we never got to ride the school bus. I'm like, yeah, there's a reason. <laughs> there's a whole lot of education. Seniors in high school telling me how the birds and bees worked. And let me just tell you, it wasn't very respectful. Laughing about it. And I'm a first grader going, hmm, why would people want to do that? Because I haven't even hit puberty yet. That was in the early 90s, guys. What do you think's happening today? Time to wake up. Time to wake up. Deuteronomy says that we need to talk about the commands of the Lord when we sit, when we rise, when we lay down, when we get up, as we're going along our way. Talk about the commands of the Lord. Teach them to your children. Impress them upon your children. Listen, church is a great support and it's a great supplement to your children's spirituality. But it is not enough. The word of God says you parents are the ones responsible for them. They're training. If, if you're a parent, you need to hear this. This is the truth. Another soul could go to hell if you don't do your job right. And I've said it before. It's a tragic situation. What if you believe, because you were raised right, and you had a relationship with God, you go to heaven, but because you were lazy and apathetic as a parent, your child goes to hell. Now that's a bold thing to say, isn't it? You know why I say those things? Because they're true. When I had children, when we've had our first kid, that baby comes home, I love you so much. And I'm like, like the fear of God hit me like you wouldn't believe. I still live in that fear. Every little word that comes out of my mouth could influence my children. 
for Jesus or for the world. And what we do, parents, is so important. Talk about it. Start when they're young, as the issues come up. And when they're five and you accidentally didn't know they watched a movie that had a cartoon character that's gay, and they're like, what's that mean? Talk about That's a perfect opportunity. That you, what you don't do is, oh, shut that up. No, don't ask me again. We're just never going to watch that again. All they know is mom got mad about it. No. Oh, why? And I'll tell you how me and my wife talk to our kids. Well, you know how we know Jesus? Some people just don't know Jesus, and they don't know who they are. And so they end up doing things that they shouldn't do. And we all can do that, right? And so some people think they're, they're a boy, but they think they're a girl, and vice versa. And the Bible says that's wrong, that's not good, and God will help you with those things if you seek him. Um, but they just don't know Jesus. They just don't know who they are. And that's what they call the, the transgenderism. That's, if you hear that word, that's what that means. And so uh, we shouldn't treat those people different. We should love them. We should be their friends. Um, but that's just not how God wants them to live. Okay? And by the way, if you ever have confusing thoughts like that, talk to mommy or daddy about it. If, you, if you're mad about it, they're not going to talk to you. And don't you ever do that. And don't you have those sick thoughts in your head. Okay, if I ever do, I'm not talking to you about it. So parents, respectful. Boldness is not being mean and angry and shouting. Boldness is just saying something. It's having the courage. It's having the courage. And so it's time to say something for sure. And listen, parents, if you don't talk to your kids, if you don't start when they're, I would say, six, seven, eight years old, somewhere in there, every kid's different, pray about it. But start explaining the birds and the bees. Talk to them about pornography. There's a great book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. And just read it and talk about it. And yes, you will be extremely uncomfortable. You will be more uncomfortable than your children are. It's a great book, by the way. It walks them through. Um, hey, you know, why, you know how we don't let you have a phone yet? Here's why. 80% of the internet's this thing called pornography. Well, what's that? Well, some people, because they, you know, they don't know who Jesus is, they, they let other people take pictures of them without any clothes on. Now, when we told our kids that, do you know what they did? Why would they do that? Well, like I said, they just don't know who they are. And we love them. We'll pray for them. We don't look down on them. But it's not good. You want to know if pornography is wrong or not? Tell a child, some people let other people take pictures of them without clothes on and watch their face. Their face will tell you that morality is innately woven into us. And we just get desensitized as we grow up and we join in with immorality and we lose our conscience. Our conscience becomes seared like a hot iron. And so start reading that book to your kids, explain it, and and then cast the vision. This is why. We don't let you have a phone yet. And one day you'll have a phone, but we're going to train you up. Some parents are like, give them a phone. I'm not going to shelter them. You better be training them then. Sheltering is protecting and you don't train them. And so they know nothing. And so the day they step into the world, they get slaughtered by temptation. Yes. Sheltering is not good. Protecting them is a very good thing. Protection with training is the best thing. Protect them, explain it for, I don't know, a decade or so while they're growing up. So by the time they hit 16 or 18 and they get a phone and they start dating, they know that pornography is as as addictive as drugs are. 
Because that book talks about that. Well, there's chemicals in your brain. Well, you need to be careful. So if their friends come and offer them cocaine, most young people are like, oh, I don't even know what that is, but that's probably bad. I'm staying away. It'll make you feel good. Don't want it. Uh-uh. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. Right? Pornography is the same way, kids. So if somebody's showing you something or something pops up, danger, danger, Will Robinson. Train them up. Train them up. It's time to say something. And the last point, how you say it is everything. Daniel asked for permission. Operate in respectful boldness. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. (sighs) Praise God. I'm like rushing. I'm like, we have 30 minutes. (sighs) (laughs) Praise the Lord Jesus. Yes, God. Amen. <laughs> ah. <sighs> Love it. Second Timothy 2, 24 through 26 says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Ooh. Verse 25, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do their will. The word of God saying, listen, people of God, they just don't know. They just don't know. When Jesus hung on that cross, he said, forgive them, Father. They just don't know. That guy, he literally just drove a nail into my hand. He spit on me, and he said, if you're the son of God, come down off the cross. And Jesus had just told his disciples, oh, with a word, 12 legions could come down and get me off and kill all of you. With one word out of my mouth, it actually takes more boldness and more courage and more strength to stay on this cross. But they don't know that. And I'm not going to say that. All I'm going to pray is just forgive them, God. They just don't know. They just don't know. They just don't know what you know. So what do you think is the best way to help them know what you know? I think it's respectful boldness. I think it's praying about it. And when the time is right, you sprinkle some salt. Let, Let your conversations be full of grace seasoned with a little bit of salt that's what the scriptures say full of grace seasoned with some salt God loves you God loves you Jesus will forgive you of all your sin full of grace full of grace what about I'm a homosexual do I, if I follow Jesus do I have to give that up oh no yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> sprinkle it in there <laughs> Yes. Yeah. I was a very lust. Pornography, all the stuff. Yep. I had to give that up. I have a wife. Any form of sexuality, any thought of sexuality that's not about my wife is illegal. I had to repent of that. I had transgressed when I came to faith. I had to repent, say I'm sorry to Jesus And my wife, right? So why are we telling a whole slew of people, but you don't, God loves you, he'll forgive you, just be who you want to be. That's not the gospel. And so it's time to say something, but we need to be full of grace, full of grace, season in the salt. I would say lead with love. Lead with love, just be their friend. 
How many, sometimes we treat the hot button issues in our culture, people who've had abortions, LGBT community. It's like we treat them like lepers sometimes in our American Christianity. How many friends do you have that get drunk on the weekends? How do you treat them? You'd laugh and joke around. You're friends with them at work. You're like, I don't agree with that lifestyle. I used to live that lifestyle. But, and if they ask, I'll share. Right? It's the same thing. You tracking with me? We must not be resentful, the word says. Not resentful. Not resentful. Be real careful what you share on social. So much of what Christians share on social about these topics, they're not grace seasoned with salt. It's like cynical, resentful memes condemning a a political ideology. And it's really, you're operating in a political spirit, which will get you to be like, yeah, go ahead, you're right. Go for it, lob those bombs. Can you imagine? Let me ask you this. Would Daniel have had the impact that he had if he was like, you can kill me, but I'll never bow. I hate you. You're all going to hell. They would have just killed him. <laughs> and they would have thought that guy was a jerk. But because he was respectful, because he was bold, but respectful, he asks permission. And you can go read every interaction he and his friends had with the kings and those in authority. Super respectful. Super respectful. Very respectful. And because he said something, he was bold, but he was respectful, the whole nation is commanded to worship the one true God. Wow. It matters. It matters. The way he resolved, I'm not giving up what I believe, but the way he interacted opened a door. What if you have friends, family, coworkers who live lifestyles that are completely ungodly, And then they finally ask you about what you think or what God thinks. And what if, because of the way you interact with them, they come to faith in Jesus? Because you actually told the truth. You were bold enough to actually tell them. But you were so respectful about it. This is what God is calling us to, church. Um, like I said, this, this past year, we've had several people in our church who've been in situations like this. And um, we have a testimony we want to share with you today of a lady in our church named uh, Valerie. And um, this past, uh, I'm going to ask her to come on up. So give, give Valerie some, some love. So this past uh, spring, somewhere in there, uh, Valerie was talking to me about this situation going on. And... Uh, Valerie works at a very well-known Fortune 500 company in Cincinnati, very large company. She's been there for about 30 years, right? And she, for a long time, has been in the media marketing department, right? And so this past spring, um, they were talking to her about her job and what they wanted her to do in her job. And this is back in the spring, so leading up to, to June that year. And part of her job that they wanted her to take on was helping promote Pride Month in all the company's products. Um, and so uh, that was the situation she was put in. 
and she has had to live with, there's other people, by the way, in our church, around the same time I heard a few other stories of people in a very similar situation, um, kind of managerial supervisor type situations where they're being asked by corporate or the higher up to promote these ideologies to the rest of their workforce. And as a Christian, that puts you in a very awkward place because you're going, I don't agree with this ideology and it, it feels disingenuous to, to promote it just, just for my job. And so um, that's the situation Valerie was in. And so I want to just turn it over to her. And Valerie, just share with us um, kind of what happened. Um, and, and I'll just let you take it from there. Yeah. Thank you. Um, first of all, I want to say we were intentional. I'm not saying my company name. Um, this is not slander. I'm very thankful for my job, but this is about faith and trust in God. Um, And second, the enemy tried to attack my voice this week. He did not want me to share this testimony, but God wins. So bear with me as I get through this. Um, So this started back in February. I um, had some capacity on my desk, and so some new responsibilities were given to me. And about March, I realized that what it entailed actually um, supporting plans coming up for Pride Month. So I kind of wrestled with it and tried to dismiss it and say, well, God loves them, and, and so do I, and it's okay. And, and he does, but he doesn't support that lifestyle. Um, and so like as May got closer, I started wrestling with it more. And um, my friend Ruth Harris always talked about beating it out at the foot of the cross. <laughs> and... I took that to heart because I, I have watched her many times and I'm like, how did you do this? And so I thought, I'm not talking to anybody about this. This is between me and God. I'm going to pray about this and I'm beating it out at the foot of the cross. And so that's what I did. Um, and about towards the end of May, Aaron, um, in his message one Sunday, um, he actually referenced it today, actually. He got up and he mentioned pride, and he said, um, we are not people of pride, we are people of humility, and we are called to be salt and light, and how can we be light if we agree with the darkness? And I was so convicted. And I really started wrestling with God like that those next couple days, and ultimately God won, and I, I surrendered, and I knew that I had to come forward with this. Um, I was scared to death. It's probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, so about probably a week prior to me setting up um, a meeting with my manager in HR, um, we had an off-site for my brand. It was like year-end results. And so we were, um, the, the VP got up on stage. He was doing closing remarks, and he said, um, it doesn't matter what skin color you are, your nationality, or your beliefs, you have a seat at our table. And I felt like God was nudging me, like, it's going to be okay. And that kind of gave me the courage that I needed to move forward. So um, May 25th, I'll never forget, I go into a conference room with my manager in HR. And through tears, um, because again, it's like the hardest thing I've done, I, I tell them that I'm a Christian and I try and live my Bible according to biblical beliefs and that promoting plans for pride just didn't fall within that. Um, And I couldn't do it again. Like, I was too far down the path this year, but I just knew I couldn't do it again. And while they were kind, it was very clear that my manager just didn't get it. And so I don't know her beliefs. I don't even know if she believes in God. But 
I could just tell she was taken aback. Um, and so they decided that they needed to go off and discuss it and figure out what would happen. Like, were they going to shift some things around or what? So um, in total God style, the exact same day, I'm coming back from lunch and there is a gentleman on my team who identifies as gay and great guy, really like him. And he sees me and he's like, hey, Valerie, he wants to talk and he's eating lunch at his desk. And um, I commented, he's lost a lot of weight and I was commenting about how, how good he looked and he was telling me that he has done the keto diet. And so we were just having some small talk about that. And then he kind of looks around and he's like, this might be TMI but I have struggled my whole life um, with, I've had a, um, an issue with a bad relationship with food. And, and he goes on to tell me about how he struggled with the gym and eating and all of these things. Now what most of you don't know is I too struggled with that for years and borderline eating disorders, anorexia, to then I would starve, you know, starve myself to death and then I went to binge eating and at the gym killing myself fad diets, all the crazy things that he had talked about. And I was like, God, what are you doing? I just bawled my eyes out in you know, a room two hours ago, like, what are you doing? I, like, I can't do this. Um, so we quickly in that conversation, I walk away, but God did not let it go. Like the whole rest of the week, he just kept bringing it up to my mind. And of course, I had a meeting with this gentleman um, the next week for work stuff. So I knew that God really wanted me to talk to him about it. Um, and specifically, he gave me uh, Psalm 139, 13, 14, and 15. That has been a verse of mine that God has brought very near and dear to my heart. I have it pasted in my bathroom, um, which is, um, you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know this full well. My frame was not hidden from you when you created me in the secret place. Um, and so... I knew that this verse would apply to him too. So I made a deal with God. I was like, all right, I will write the scripture down. I will put it in my notebook. And if we have time in our meeting, and like, I'll talk about it. But if not, then apparently I'm not supposed to. So we come together and um, of course the meeting ends early and I'm like trying to think of things to stall and my heart starts beating, which is the sign of the Holy Spirit for me. So I said, can I share something with you? And he's like, yeah, sure, of course. And um, I said, well, you know, last week you were talking about your food relationship. And I said, I've had a very similar um, situation and I feel the exact same way. And I, I just kind of shared it with him. And I said, but there's hope for you. Because he had talked about, it just never goes away. And I'm like, but there's hope for you. And he's like, oh, really? And he kind of perks up. And I said, well, five years ago, I became a Christian and... When I found Jesus, or I like to say when he found me, all of that went away. I can't explain it, but those thoughts went away. I don't have the desire for the gym. I don't have those crazy thoughts. Like, it just went away. And I, told, I said, I have this verse um, that I kept near and dear, and I'm going to read it to you. And then I'm going to give it to you. And you can put it in your pocket. You can put it in your bathroom, whatever you want to do with it. So I read it to him, the, the Psalm 139. And, um, and then I handed it to him and he looked at it and he just looked at me and he said, you're so sweet. Thank you so much. You're very kind. And I was like, that's it. And we got up and we walked out 
and I thought, he's never going to talk to me again. I felt sick to my stomach. It, it, it was awful. And um, lo and behold, he, do, he did still talk to me. He never treated me any different. But I knew that a seed was planted that day and that God had highlighted him to me um, for a reason. So um, about at the end of June, then I came back together with my manager in HR. And... Um, they said, we understand you have a problem with this. This is a personal conflict. We've looked at things, but we cannot take this off of your desk. So we're going to ask for you to look for another job within the company. And I was taken aback because I just didn't think that that would happen. And um, so I, once again, I was scared all over again. Like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to find another job, which we have um, an internal job posting. So, you know, it's very possible. Um, so I, I started looking for a role, um, and I found a role in a consumer relations um, position, and I found out that I knew the hiring manager. We connected, and she's like, you should talk to the person that's in the role. I talked to this person, and I was like, this is boring. Like, I don't want this job. This doesn't seem like something I would want. And I, as I prayed about it, I felt like God said, if you take this job, you're taking it out of fear and that you think nothing else is available for you. So I was like, okay, I'm walking away, I'm walking away. So I continued to look um, and nothing was coming up. And so I finally, I was like, God, you're gonna have to literally drop something in my lap. Like I don't even know what to do anymore. And within a day or two of me praying that, he literally dropped a job in my lap. Um, the same manager reached out to me and was like, hey, I know you didn't, um, like the, you weren't interested in the other role, but um, there's another one that's come open. It's a little bit different. Would you consider? So once again, I go down the path. I meet with a girl who's doing the role. And again, I'm like, this is boring. Like, I don't want this job. And so I hadn't completely ruled it out, but I just wasn't feeling it. Um, and about this time, I was starting to feel like frustrated and angry and like I'm not being being treated fairly. And I started crafting kind of a response in my mind of how I was going to like bring up the VP standing on stage saying that I had a seat at the table. And it didn't seem like it felt like that. And so um, then about that same time, I started reading this book, Honors Reward. Aaron has talked about it by John Bevere. Um, and so I started reading it. Well, don't you know, I came across this story of this man who was up for a promotion and like he should have got it hands down, but his colleague got it. And he was upset by it, but he decided to respect him. And he went up and he shook his hand and he said, um, congratulations, I'm going to be your best employee. And the man was very uncomfortable because he knew that he should not have got the promotion. And so, like, I don't know, a couple weeks or a month later, a company reached out to him um, and wanted to offer him a job. And he was like, no, no, I'm fine. I don't, I don't want a job. I'm good here. And they insisted. And he finally was like, fine, I will meet with him. He got together with his, with his wife, and he decided he was going to ask for three times his salary just to make them go away. Um, well, when he meets with this gentleman, and they come back to... Or, when he meets with them, he's getting ready to tell them, and the guy goes, no, no, let me tell you what we want to offer you. And he slides a piece of paper across, 
and he offered them him four times his salary. And God said, this is me honoring you, so you need to take this job. And I immediately knew I had to scrap all of those messages that I had created in my mind and that I needed to honor, continue to honor my management. Um, So I let that go. I come back together for the third time um, with HR and my manager. And I had also been thinking about um, what was going, what I could give up, what they were hoping. I was hoping they would take off my desk, but they didn't. But what I could take on. So I thought, I'm coming with a proposal because they aren't, I'm not finding anything. They're not helping me. So I came with like, hey, if you take this off, I will take this. Like, is that something we could work through? And my manager seemed like open to it and um, actually started taking notes. And then HR pipes up and says, can I say something? And um, so of course, we're like, yeah. And he's like, Valerie, we looked at your job and shifting things around on your desk. And we determined that we couldn't do that. And we're not gonna continue to spin our wheels He said, you need to decide if you can't do this job and you can't find a job, maybe this is not the place for you. Now, I've been reading the book Honor's Reward, right? Because it could have been really easy for me to like retaliate. But I just looked at him and I smiled and I said, well, I've been with the company for 30 years and I don't plan on leaving. Now, I think that said more than if I had got my claws out. And he said, oh, oh, I didn't mean it to be like that. I, I, I didn't mean it. Hmm, I'm not really sure how else I was supposed to take that. But um, so he didn't say a whole lot um, after that. And, but they continued to tell me that the timeline had moved up. And that by September or October, I needed to, if I hadn't found a job, I needed to um, make a decision whether I would stay through the end of the fiscal year, which our fiscal is July to June. Um, So that meant I would have to deliver plans again. And I thought, oh God, what are you doing? Like, I can't do this. So, um, but I walked away and I was like, okay, clear, got it. And so I'm driving home that day and I'm just talking to God about it. Like, I don't understand this. I don't know what to do. Um, And he, he clearly said to me, Now, remember, I had not turned, I had not said I wouldn't apply for that other boring role. Um, And he reminded me, that is the open door. You need to take it. And I was like, oh, yes, I've been praying. Closed doors that need closed, open doors that need open. I don't get to choose if I like those doors. So um, I was like, great, okay, I will apply for this job. So... And if it doesn't make sense, it's usually God anyway, right? So I was like, okay, well, this somehow he's going to make this all work out. So um, I set up a meeting with my manager, and I said, I just want to let you know, I heard you guys loud and clear, I'm going to apply for this role. And also, I have to say, up to this point, my manager had not treated me any differently. She treated me exactly the same. And I felt it was important for her to know that. So in the meeting, I say to her, um, I said, thank you for never treating me any differently, even if this didn't make sense to you. And she reached her hand across the table and she touched mine. 
And she said, I can't imagine how hard this has been for you. That's why I'm here for you. And that really just spoke volumes to me because she didn't have to treat me like that. And so I just knew again that seeds had been planting, planted and that God was working in her heart. So I, I apply for this role and several weeks go by and I hear nothing. Um, you, we still have to interview, so it's not like you just hop around from job to job. There's still you know, a process that you have to go through. Um, so I had applied and several weeks went by and uh, so I reached out to this manager that I had known and I said, do you know what's going on? Like, do you think it's weird? I haven't heard anything. And she's like, well, there's been some travel. You know, I'm sure you'll hear something soon. Another week goes by and I thought, okay, I'm just going to look on our job site again and see if there's anything that's open. So I go on the website and this job pops up. That is a more traditional marketing role. Um, I had been toying with, like, do I need to get out of marketing altogether? But I love marketing. You know, the bar was set like I loved my job, so I'm trying to find a job where the bar's here, but nothing is coming in at that. So I was wrestling with, do I step away from marketing altogether? Um, but this was a very traditional role. And I was like, I've done this, I've done this, I've known this system, like, oh, and I started getting excited. And so I look at the organization, once again, I know the person, a person in this role, or in, in this organization. So I reached out to her, and don't you know, it's her job, she's leaving, she's being promoted. So I was able to get straight from the horse's mouth exactly what the role was. And I had kind of learned how to craft, like, sleuth without actually her knowing. I was like, is there custom artwork part of this? Because that would fall within, like, the pride category. It's custom. And she was like, oh, no, we do, like, holiday packs. And I was like, great. I've been praying for a safe role. This seems safe. So um, I, I was like, I, I'm super excited about this. And she's like, I've already told my manager about you. We're excited, and I was like, great, I'm applying. I applied that day, and um, within a week and a half, this manager reaches out to me, and he says, um, he like instant messaged me, and he's like, can you have a one-to-one -one tomorrow? And I was like, sure, okay. I was like, is this an interview? And he was like, nope, I just want to get to know you. And I was like, oh, great, okay. So um, we meet, and he's like, so tell me about yourself. So I just kind of talk about the different roles I've had in the last 30 years and um, make a little joke like, I did everything you're not supposed to do in one year, got married, sold a house, bought a house, started a job. If I can do that, I can do anything, you know, just trying to keep it light. And, and he, was, he was like, great, okay, well, he's like, in full transparency, there's somebody else who's applied. Um, I need to reach out to this person, but between you and me, I pick you. And I was like, oh, okay. I said, so are we gonna have an interview? Officially, he went, nope, I don't need to. This is good enough for me. I'm going to talk to HR, and I'll be back in touch. And so the next day, he called me, and he offered me the role. And I was blown away. One, God completely took the interview process away. I was scared to death, didn't want to interview. He, he took that away, too. So I think the moral of the story is, and Aaron touched on this, too, um, if you honor God, and you honor those in leadership over you, even if they don't respect you or treat you fairly, that he will honor you. So to God be the glory.
Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Awesome. Whew. Um, I'm so proud of Valerie. Um, and and I follow this music guy, Rick Beto, on, on Instagram. He plays guitar, and he'll do this. He'll be like, sometimes it's cool to play this amazing riff, you know, and he'll play it, and it's like like he's one of the only people in the world get, that can play it. He'll be like, Pfft. and then he'll go, like that. And uh, I just feel like, like saying, like that, like that, like that, just like that, you know? Um, when I heard, I had, I thought of her story when I was planning this message. I thought, I'm going to reach out to her. And I didn't know the rest of the story there. And, and, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is like textbook. Uh, and the Lord has orchestrated this today, uh, to encourage you. It's, it's time to say something. Um, but how we say it is everything. And so what did Valerie do? She resolved. I'm not going to go along with something that's against my convictions. Um, I'm going to say something, Right. But she was incredibly respectful. And, you know, and then God orchestrated this moment to, to, for her to, to minister to, give a word of encouragement to a, a coworker who she's, she's like, I don't go along with this ideology, but I'm still a friend with this person. And, man, that's what it looks like right there. You know, Jesus was a friend of sinners, but he was not a friend of the world. And uh, he had this way, uh, Scripture says he was full of grace and truth. He didn't. He never compromised one or the other, and so he could say to the woman caught in adultery, "I don't condemn you, right? But you need to leave your life of sin behind." And it wasn't. It wasn't one or the other. It, it was a both and. And so we need to live in the tension. We can't give up our convictions, um, but we need to be incredibly thoughtful and respectful about how about how we live this out. I love what Valerie said. If you honor God and you honor the people around you. Um, God will honor you in your decisions. And so I just want to close with a prayer time and invite you to receive some ministry today. If our ministry team's available, if you could go ahead and come on up front and, and get ready to, to pray for some people. God, I just thank you for this, this time together today. God, we know this world is not our home. You save us out of the world. But man, it can be so hard when you leave us in it <laughs> to then live out uh, what you've saved us from, to live out as ambassadors of your kingdom culture. <sighs> and God, we know there's times that um, things don't work out. There's times that it doesn't end with a bow on top. There's times that someone might lose a job. There's times that someone, uh, their kid might still rebel, even if they do everything right, so to speak. And so we just ask for your grace. But I, I, I ask right now, Lord, that these moments of discouragement or even persecution at times would not discourage us from holding to our convictions, from honoring you above all. Um, right now, in the name of Jesus, God, I just want to ask you to impart your boldness and courage on these people. Fill us with your spirit today to know how to live out your kingdom culture to represent Jesus, to be salt and light with the ultimate goal of winning people to you, Jesus. That we could see America saved, we could see America transformed, but not through uh, voting or things like that, through revival, through people coming to know Jesus. And I ask that you would do it. Start a revival here, God, that touches this nation. 
that through so many people coming to Jesus that we see cultural transformation. (sighs) Thank you, Jesus. Pour out your spirit. God, I ask for an impartation of prophetic evangelism on these people right now. Um, In chapter 2, Daniel is going to be killed, and he prays, and God gives him prophetic knowledge of what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was, and he interprets it as well. And right now, in the name of Jesus, God, I just pray that you would impart prophetic evangelism on these people, words of knowledge, impressions, encouraging words, prophetic words like Valerie gave to her coworker about a similar issue she faced in her life with a scripture. And just get, that's a prophetic encouragement. God did this in my story. I'm going to prophesy my testimony into your life. And I'm going to share this scripture with you and just encourage you. And what God did for me, he can do for you. That's so amazing. And I just pray that you would, this week even, our ears would be tuned in, even as we we go to work, um, as we go to Thanksgiving tables, Lord, with family and friends who, some of them uh, are not living for you. And it's not a coworker, it's a family member, it's a friend uh, who's living in a way that's not honoring you. And 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 it's it's not that their behavior bothers us, it's that we we grieve that their hearts are not aligned with you. We, We have the fear of the Lord for them, that they might not spend eternity with you if something doesn't shift and so I just pray that you would draw us into the prayer closets to grieve for the things that grieve your heart to grieve for the people in our lives uh, that don't know you God and to and to pray for them and to with a compassion that says they just don't know father forgive them God open their hearts and so right now for for our church family Not only would you open our eyes and our hearts, but God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, you would open the eyes and hearts of every person connected with every person in this church, whether it's family, friend, coworker, friend of a friend. Open eyes and hearts, remove veils. Uh, The harvest is ripe. And and this week, God is going to be imparting. You're going to be talking to people and you're going to have those those experiences like Valerie talked about, like, oh boy, I'm supposed to share my story with them. Oh goodness, he's showing me this and I'm supposed to speak encouragement into their life. I'm supposed to invite them to church next weekend. Some of you know people who you think, Oh my goodness, they will never, if I invite them to church, they will curse my name. They, this, they would never step, they hate church. And God's going to be like, you should invite them next week. <laughs> and I just pray right now for prophetic evangelism to be unleashed. I pray for dreams and visions, prophetic dreams uh, this week even. of um, Sometimes they're symbolic, but I pray for the prophetic dreams that are like literal things that actually are going to happen in your life. And when you're standing in those moments, you'll know what to say because you had a dream about it. I ask for that, Lord, to pour it out on your people. And God, I ask for the courage and boldness to step out in faith when we know this is a God moment. I'm going to say something. God, give us the courage and give us the words to say in those moments. We thank you for these things in the mighty name of your son, Jesus.